you'd prefer, but please go ahead and have a seat. Uh, we are a little bit full this morning, so if there's a seat next to you, you can scoot over if you would, if or not, I guess, whatever. Um, uh, this is going to be family style, which means you might see some people who are smaller than usual in here. There are kids in here today, which is awesome. Uh, just a quick note before we get in. Um, if you're a parent and, and you've never had your kid in here before, hey, that's okay. You let me worry about the preaching. You worry about your kids. Uh, and hey, we're in here as a family, right? This, that's the deal. So I'll worry about the preaching. You worry about your kids. And we'll talk about Jesus, okay? Um, good morning. Happy Easter. Easter's a great time when people, like, when it's not empty in the room, it's awesome. I'm going to pray for us. And by that, I mean when I say something, people say it back. It's, it's like a conversation. Um, I will pray for us, and then we'll go ahead and dig in. Uh, King Jesus, you are risen from the dead. Death could not hold you. You came to save us from ourselves, and your resurrection said, mission accomplished. You came to make us right with you, not because of anything we have done or could do or ever will do. We can't make you happy by the things we do that you would love us, but that you loved us first and have made us our own. You lived the perfect sinless life in our place. You died to crush the beef that we've made between ourselves and yourself. And Jesus, you rose from the dead and are ruling and reigning. And I pray for us, wherever we go today, whether we're eating ham or hanging out or going to the park, that, that, that our lives and our hearts would be shaped by the deep abiding reality that you actually came, you actually lived, you actually died, you actually rose from the dead, and you're actually ruling and reigning from heaven right now. You are our God. You love us. You know us. You have the hairs on our heads counted. And I pray we would live our lives in the purpose you've built us for, enjoying you and glorifying you with everything we've got by enjoying you, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, please be with us. We love you, God, and pray these things in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have some on the table over there. We'll be starting in uh, Matthew 28, if you have a Bible. Uh, today we're going to ask a really simple question. Why celebrate Easter? What, what's the point? Why aren't you sleeping in right now? Right? It's, it's, it's on Sunday. You don't get a day off for Easter. What's the point? Right, and, and, and the reason we want to ask this question is not just because uh, every year the same thing comes around and it's Easter again and I need to think of something to stay even though I preached one of these last year um, but that I believe that if we actually see the very simple answer to this question if we actually see it for what it is it will change the feed that you're headed to it will change the ham that you're going to eat it will change the friends you're going to hang out with. it will change everything if you actually know and believe why we actually celebrate Easter and of course the question or the answer to that question is not a surprise because Joe preached the best announcement sermon I've ever heard and I was ready to say amen let's just sing some more because that is the gospel that Joe told us all a few minutes ago but the answer is three words why do we celebrate Easter Jesus is risen he's risen that's why we celebrate Easter. That's why ham is awesome. That's why we're going to get together with friends. That's why we're going to celebrate something that we don't even get a day off for because he has risen. And, and it's not just that we know that in our minds, but that we take that and apprehend that reality in our hearts that Jesus Christ, God himself, suspended his role as the God of the universe. Well, he's still the God of the universe, but set, suspended his divine attributes, uh, suspended his omnipotence and omnipresence, and he set aside his divine rights and he entered into human history as a servant to save people from themselves who in and of ourselves can't save ourselves. We need Him. And He came down for us. And He came down for us to give us life. And life in abundance. 
He came so that we would know the one true God, Jesus. He revealed him to us because even when we're looking, we can't find him. We've done nothing to earn his love, but God has done it all. We couldn't get to him, so Jesus had to come down and get to us. This is the gospel, and it is confirmed in the reality that he has risen. And he's still risen, by the way. And he's still our God, and he still knows us, and he still speaks to us, and he's still saving us, as we'll see, I think. So we'll start in Matthew 10, pardon me, 28, and we're going to look at four things to this point. Um, Easter, number one, it is real. We're not talking about an abstraction or some weird spiritual idea. Jesus died and rose from the dead. The tomb is empty, historical fact. Uh, Not only that, but this is the high point of human history. This is the best thing that ever happened. Amen. It's the best thing that ever happened. And, and, and number three, that what happened in the past, this historical event that happened in the past, changes today. Changes our reality now. Changes our today. Changes our present. And, and, and number four, without the resurrection, without Easter, without the empty tomb, we don't have all of Christianity, we don't have a whole gospel, and we honestly don't have all that much to celebrate. But when we see these things, we see this little chain, the reality of it, and the impact that it has on our lives, it changes eating ham. It changes jelly beans. It changes how we interact with people. It changes everything because the gospel of Jesus changes absolutely everything. Okay, so uh, let's start in in, uh, Matthew here, 28. And now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day, so you have to understand he's been crucified and he's dead at this point, as far as everyone's concerned, that's where we're at right now. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, a quick note on reading your Bible. One of the hardest parts about these things, uh, there's a lot of people who have the same name. There's two Marys in the story. There's a couple of Johns. There's a couple of Judases. There are a few people who have a few names that are the same names, and then you're trying to track what are we actually talking about. So there's a couple Marys there. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, okay, the other one, uh, went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake from an angel of the Lord, and an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. They were scared. Now, the thing you got to understand about these soldiers: these are Roman soldiers. They aren't afraid of anything, but whatever they saw that day made them afraid of something, and they kind of freaked out. His appearance was like lightning. Uh, I read that. Uh, dead men, read that. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was, past tense, crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. The tomb is empty, friends. He has risen. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Now here's, here's the interesting thing, right? Jesus has been running around with these guys for like three years. And the whole time he's making indications that these things are going to have to happen. They're going to happen. They're going to come to pass. And he's going to raise from the dead. And here they are at the tomb, not expecting to find a live guy. It's even interesting. we got Mary and Mary. And they're there. And they're, they're, they're here at this tomb. And, 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 and typically when someone famous and popular passes away, there's a vigil or candles or an all-night or whatever. There's none of that for this thing. God himself who came to save us, died on the cross to pay for our sins, to make us right with God, to give us life, and no one's even there to see if what he said is going to happen, happen. 
fascinating. Come, see the place where he lay. See the details that the author of, that Matthew's trying to include? The angel said, no, no, come on in. Come on in and have a look. He ain't here. He's gone. Right? Come and see where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb uh, with fear and great joy. That is a great sentiment and probably the reality, right? They're a little freaked out, but they're pretty happy. And they're not really sure what's going on. Uh, I love the honesty there. Then go quickly and see all, uh, and tell all his disciples that he's risen from the dead. I read that, sorry. So they departed quickly from the tomb when fear and great joy, I read that, and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell the brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So there's something really important here that as uh, 2014 people we can kind of miss. The author here is trying to communicate to us historical reality, historical events. And one of the ways you can tell this is that in, uh, in Jerusalem, in, Jewish, uh, in the Jewish legal system at the time, women weren't allowed to be a test testimony. They couldn't give a testimony to anything. Not even several who saw the same event. Now that's not biblical, but that's what had developed. So if the point was to craft a made-up story that is really, really convincing for people to say, oh yeah, this is, a, this is a plausible story. These are the wrong people to choose. So why then, if that's not going to convince anybody of anything, Thing, did Matthew choose them? Because it happened. Because he's telling the truth. Uh, not only that, but in the story, if you were trying to like build an empire and have people think, oh yeah, Peter, he was Jesus' buddy and he's awesome and we should really think he's a great dude, do you think you would say, yeah, I wasn't there, I didn't even buy it? No, you'd say, oh, I was there, I was waiting for Jesus, he showed up and it was great. He was making it up. He's not making it up and he wants you to know the historical happenings. My favorite Easter text which isn't even in one of the Gospels, but th there you have it, is uh, 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll go there quickly as we're moving along here. The Apostle Paul says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the Gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Jesus doesn't just save us once. Jesus doesn't just uh, forgive us for our sins, and then we just play Parcheesi forever. Jesus is saving us. He's changing us. He's saving us from ourselves always and constantly. Again and again, He saves us and sets us free and liberates us. And it's wonderful and it's an ongoing reality. But if you're a Christian, you are saved, but you're also being saved. And it's the truth of the gospel as it takes a hold in our lives that He saves and He's risen and He's real and I know Him and I love Him and I know things about Him with my mind and I feel things about with Him in my heart. Okay? Being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you of first importance what I also received. This is the most important thing. I could preach then, or we could preach then, 1 Corinthians 15 forever, because this is what's most important for us as Christians, right here. For I deliver to you as first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. In accordance with the first 78% of the Bible, it was all saying He's coming to save us, to put everything back the way it's supposed to be, to bring the kingdom of God so that we could actually live lives for His glory, enjoying Him. That's the point of this first part. Which is, uh, you know, the it's a big first part, 
Uh, Christ died for our sins according with the scriptures. He was buried and was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Just like it said. That is the thing. That is the point. That is the main rail of our lives. Jesus came, lived, died, rose, reigning, saves us, putting everything back the way it's supposed to be. Thank you. Good night. Right? He's given us more than that, but that's the, that's the, that's the one drum that we should just hear in our Bible studies and in our discipleship and from the pulpit, Jesus saves sinners to life, to life in God. And that he appeared. Now here's what he's saying. Now he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. So it's, it's a fancy way to say Peter, Cephas, rock. Then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Why is this significant? Because if the whole point is to write some kind of uh, mythological account of things, why in the world would you tell people, I got 500 dudes who saw him risen from the dead, go talk to them? Amazing, big, boring, amazing book uh, called Jesus and Eyewitnesses by Richard Bauckham, a scholar in England. Uh, he has taken apart the Gospels and, and, and just so delicately and carefully and long-windedly uh, proves and shows that, that whenever you see in the Gospels, so if you've never read the Bible before, that's okay. Welcome to Anchor Church. We love you and we'd love for you even to just take a Bible and read it and never come back and go find another church that believes Jesus. We care about your soul and we want you to read the Bible. If you've never read the Bible before, sometimes it can be a little bit confusing. So my encouragement to you would be to start in the second half, the last 22%. You start in Matthew, you read that whole thing, and then you start at the beginning in Genesis and read the whole thing on. Um, but something happens in the, in the accounts where they start naming guys. Because Paul's writing this letter, and the Gospels are written within the lifetime of eyewitnesses to the Christ event. And so when he says, hey, there's a guy, he was a ruler of a synagogue named Jairus, that was there so that if you read that and you're sitting in Ephesus, you could say, I'm going to Jerusalem. And you look around and say, hey, is Jairus here? I'm looking for Jairus. And they say, yeah, it's that guy right there. And you go to Jairus and say, Jairus, and if you know the story, this is the story of Jairus' little girl dies. He goes and gets Jesus, and Jesus raises the little girl from the dead. You go to Jairus and say, Jairus, did your little girl die? <laughs> yep. But she's not dead anymore because Jesus made her live. She's right there if you'd like to talk to her. Go find the 500 guys. They saw him risen from the dead. This is not mythology. This is a historical eyewitness account of the reality of the resurrection. And he continues on with the list and it gets better. Uh, Cephas, 12, 500 brothers at one time. Most of whom, by the way, he makes this note, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, which is a Christian first century way to say uh, they are present with the Lord, awaiting his return and putting everything back the way it's supposed to be. Uh, so you can't talk to them anymore. Uh, then he appeared to James. My Bible has a big circle around James because James is Jesus' little brother. Okay? My little sister ain't here right now, but there's no confusion. I am not a perfect man in my little sister's eyes. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's it. James, interestingly enough, becomes a leader in the early church. But if you read the Gospels, how does it go for James? James spends most of his time trying to tell Jesus he's crazy and he needs to come home. So if you're trying to write the Gospels in such a way that makes you seem like the great guy to put in charge of the church, maybe being the guy when Jesus was around saying that he was crazy and he should come home instead of preach the Gospel, die on a cross, and save the world, maybe you're not necessarily the right guy for the job. Unless you have sincere faith that God, who was a man, who was his biological brother, was actually the Messiah who came to save the world. 
It's there for a reason. And there's a reason why he gets named as an exception. Go talk to James about his big brother. Uh, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one to one untimely born, he appeared to me. Why is he untimely born? Because he appears to him, he really does, on a road, knocking him off a horse, making him go blind, and saying, why are you persecuting me? Because before this, Paul, called Saul, he, he's not really the greatest, he's not got the greatest resume. He spent his life persecuting the church, but when he actually saw Jesus for who he is, realized that Jesus is who he says he is. Now, this is significant because here's the deal. Paul had everything to lose. Absolutely everything. You know, his job is persecuting the church. He's a scholar. He's an influential teacher. He's got lots of friends, and people think highly of him until he says that Jesus rose from the dead. Until Until Paul said, Jesus is risen. Right? And he loses it all. He doesn't, and in our minds sometimes if you read the letters, we think, oh yeah, he fell off the horse and he starts writing, he writes Romans. But you actually follow the chronology. Homeboy doesn't write Romans the day he falls off the horse. He doesn't write Romans for a long time. It's probably not until years and years later that he writes Romans. So he goes from being the top dog to just being a dude. But why does he do that? Why will he lose everything? Because in Jesus, he got everything. Because he got God out of the deal. He got Jesus out of the deal. He got life out of the deal. And all of those things are worthless compared to Jesus and knowing Him and enjoying Him and glorifying Him. To glorify God means to point to His beauty and say, God is the most beautiful, wonderful, valuable, holy, perfect, awesome thing in the whole universe. And the main way we do that is by realizing that and enjoying Him and knowing how valuable and wonderful and glorious He is. And so Paul lays it all on the line, loses everything to follow Jesus, but in that gains absolutely everything. Closes with this. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Oh, we missed the whole persecution part. But we're running out of time, so we'll just skip to ten. Now I'll go to nine. For I am least of the apostles and worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. He's saying, I don't even deserve anything here. I don't, I don't even deserve anything in the church. He, he, he gets elevated. God elevates him and puts him in this role to write 13 books of the Bible, for example. But he's saying, I don't even deserve that. But all I care about is I get Jesus. I get life out of the deal. Uh, for I am least of the apostles, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, through, though it was not I. It wasn't me. But the grace of God is with me, whether then it was I or they so preached and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as risen from the dead, how can someone say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, uh, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because, of, because we testify about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise. If it is true, then the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And the, that if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you're still in your sins. Again, we'd be better off sleeping in. Paul, Paul's not saying this is, this is fun, you know, like, even if it's not true or whatever. We still have a nice social club or whatever. He's saying, no, go do something else. Get a better hobby than getting together at 1030 
in a community center having some guy who doesn't have an inside talking voice talk at you, right? There are better hobbies than this if he's not risen from the dead. But it's not a hobby because he is risen from the dead. Amen. Uh, last scripture we'll look at. <clears throat> Luke 24. Luke 24 in verse 13. So not only is this a historical event, this is the high point of human history. The very day, two of them, that's disciples who thought Jesus was going to be the Messiah, was going to kick out the Romans and defeat the hegemonic world power and give them everything they wanted, but it turns out he died on a cross and they totally missed that he came to bring them something so much better. He's not here to... Yeah. I'll keep going. Uh, And they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. Hey, that Jesus thing, the three years of Jesus thing, that was pretty cool. What are we going to do with the rest of our lives? And it was cool and all, but now he's gone, and I guess we should go fishing again or something. Go find a new hobby. Well, they're talking and discussing together. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So he sidles up next to them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation you all are holding with each other as you walk? What are you guys talking about? And they stood still, looking sad. Looking sad. They don't know that Jesus is risen from the dead. They don't have anything to be sad about yet. Or, yeah, they will find that in a second. And he said to them, uh, yep. And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas. So here's another name. A real name of a real guy so that you can go and find him and say, hey, Cleopas, could you unpack that Bible study that I missed out on? Because uh, we have Bible studies, but they're not like this one because uh, Jesus doesn't lead them. He's there, but he doesn't lead them. Uh, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened? There in these days, this was a big deal and everybody knew that he died. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him, but we hoped that he was uh, the one to redeem Israel, to kick out the Romans and put things back. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, now, now see here, even what I was saying earlier about there were ladies and they didn't believe him. These guys, I don't know that they believe him, unfortunately. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. So they, yeah, they, they're like, eh, maybe. Uh, they were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see, because remember, they're sad. They don't buy it. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, the books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, uh, and the prophets, the second section of the Bible, the Nabium, the prophets, and, and then there would have been a third section, the Katavium, the writings, so he opens up the Old Testament, starts from the beginning, and begins to unpack these things for them. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them all, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He tried to show them from the Bible that the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the center of human history and the greatest thing that's ever happened. Historical event. It's not just that it's the thing that happened or something that kind of happens along the narrative of the Bible. It is the pinnacle 
It, it is the point. And so it's not just the highlight of the Bible. It's the high point of human history. It's the high point of our own lives. It's the high point of this church. It is what we live and die for, that Jesus died and rose from the dead to save us to Himself. There's nothing we could do to earn it. God did it. He did it all and it's finished. He paid the price for all of our sins before we met Him. All the sins we commit after we met Him. And there's nothing we can do to earn it. It's His. And it's grace and a gift. And He's given it to us so that we might live to the praise of His glorious grace. Okay. So what happened in the past, number three, changes us in the present, if you're in Him, if you're in Jesus, if He's yours and you're His. So He takes people who in and of ourselves are self-centered, selfish. We do right things for the wrong reasons. That means we do things like uh, you take care of poor people who, who are in need. You take care of people in need so people will look around and say, Oh, look at that guy. Isn't he so great? You didn't help them. You helped yourself. You know, you might think, oh, no, I believe in karma and you know, it all comes around so I'm doing kind things to them so kind things will happen to me. You're not helping them, you're helping you. And there's wiling out and, and there's the fact that we're just opposed to God sometimes and there's the fact that our whole culture is built about trying to displace God from His right place in the center of the universe and we live our whole lives for us. We live our whole lives so people will think well of us. Or maybe so they'll leave us alone. Or so maybe we'll get money. Or maybe we'll get power. Or maybe we'll get influence. Or maybe we'll get something. And we live for us until Jesus comes. And the reality is that all my sin was dealt with 2,000 years ago, which changes now. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus did everything to make me right with God and make me alive now. Jesus did everything to deal with tomorrow when I'm driving on the road. He, did, he, did, he took care of everything so that it changes Wednesday when I'm at work and I'm dealing with a difficult person. He's forgiven me so I can forgive others. He's given me life so I can live. He's made me to be able to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of us. So God Himself comes and lives with us. He takes the dividing wall that we've made between ourselves and God and He crushes it so that we can have full and unfettered access to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. The historical thing that happened 2,000 years ago changes my every second of of today. It makes it to where when I eat ham, I remember who made ham, who made the flavors and made the taste bugs on my taste buds, not bugs, taste buds on my tongue so that I can enjoy it. So I can think and wonder about God's amazing design for that moment in history that He made for His glory that I would sit there and say, God, You are God and I am not and that is the best news that I've got. And God, I am right with You because Jesus Christ 2,000 years died on the cross to save me from myself and that Jesus Christ was fulfilling the promise that He made before the foundations of the earth to save people from themselves to God. So this historical event then has massive ramifications for today. Why in the world would you sing songs to a guy who didn't raise from the dead? He can't hear you. We don't sing songs to a guy who can't hear us. We sing songs to Jesus who hears us just fine. Who's given us everything. Who's given us himself. Finally, without this, we only have half a gospel. Gospel is from a Greek word. It means good news, right? We don't get together so that we can give you a plan to clean up your life and look like a nice person so God might say, well, yeah, he's a good dude. We should, I'll, I'll, I'll let him on the team. 
That's, the gospel is the good news that Jesus saves us from death to life, from sin to himself, and it is the good news we proclaim. It's not a battle plan. It's a proclamation. It is finished. Jesus is risen from the dead, period. It's a proclamation. Now, if we only go with the first part, that we've sinned against God and we've done wrong with God and we're accountable to God and we're responsible to God, and so, and then we kind of stop there and we talk about how horrible we are or whatever, and I close the Bible and say, all right, everybody, let's sing. Yeah, I feel like singing, right? What do I have to sing about? It's half a gospel. The whole gospel is, yeah. Yeah, my whole life was lived in opposition to God, and yet God loved me first, and He came and He saved me from myself, and He gave me life, and there's nothing I did to earn it, and I was able to turn from sin and turn to God and turn from death and turn to life and turn from just loving me to loving God and loving other people. And it's the good news that He saves, and it's the good news that He's done it, and it's the good news that it's finished, and it's the good news that you're right with God because He died on that cross instead of you. This is good, good news. This gives me something to celebrate. This makes me excited to get up and sing. This makes me excited to love people because God's loved me. And it makes me excited to know Him more and deeper because He's alive and real and fantastic and wonderful. Because the reality is that Jesus saves. He's changed me. I'm a different human being than I was before I met Jesus. His resurrection, His cross, His active movement in my life changed me to be loving and considerate, not perfectly, I wish, but to be more like Him and to know Him and desire Him and to love Him more and to love to love other people more every day. And the more I know Him, the more I want to love other people. And if you're here and you're a Christian, He's changed you too. He's given you something to live for, namely Himself. Namely joy. Namely loving Him and loving other people. And He's changing. He's taken the junk and the brokenness and the messed upness of my life. He's taken broken things and done beautiful things with them because that's what He is in the business of doing. That is the power of the resurrection at hand. And so if you don't know Him, I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with you. This is real. He'll save you from yourself. He saved us from ourselves. He'll save you from yourself, from death to life, to life in Him with purpose and meaning, to glorify God, to enjoy God, and to know Him. To know Him. This is why we celebrate. This is why we celebrate. He's changed me. He's changed you. What's the point of Easter? Jesus is risen, and that gives us everything to live for from now and forever. Happy Easter. I love you guys on my heart. I hope God speaks these things into you as you go out to feast and party and whatever you got today. King Jesus, you are risen. Help us when we can't see that. Help us when that's hard to understand. Help us when we, we aren't sure. Help us in all these moments. Help us in our brokenness. Help us to remember every day that there's no such thing as Sunday bests. There's no putting on a show for everyone so everyone will think we have our lives together. But before you, Jesus, we stand with empty hands pleading with you. Just move in our lives and save. And we know that when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. That is a promise from Scripture. 
And so I pray for us, God, that we would just, we would know with our minds and experience with our hearts the beauty of your resurrection today, and that would just absolutely radically revolutionize today and tomorrow and Friday and the rest of our lives. Jesus, we love you and pray these things for your glory and for our joy in your name. Jesus Christ, amen.